Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I hope you're reading the book of James this month. Easy to read through. I've been reading it every time I've gone at it. Um, and of course, well, you know, I'm the pastor. And listen, I don't get paid to have a relationship with God. I don't get paid to read my Bible. I don't get paid to pray. I don't get paid to live right. I, I get paid to oversee this church. That's all. That's my job. And trust me, there are a lot of preachers that don't read their Bible and pray and live right. Uh, but I'm loving reading this book. Every time I went to it, uh, every day this month, it's just been easy to read through the whole thing because it's only five chapters, and it reads so quickly, and they're short chapters, and you don't have to read the whole thing every time. But I do want to encourage you to read through these five chapters at least one time this month. The book of James is a fantastic book. Um, as is every part of the Bible, but I'm going to read to you four verses out of James chapter 1. Beginning in James chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, not to say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. I want to talk to you tonight from a Bible study titled, God Wants to Bless Us. Let me help you better. God wants to bless you. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your desire to bless your children. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. I pray now that you would... Use me to teach your word, cause it to make sense in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that one of the missing concepts in the mind of the average Christian is the title of this Bible study, that God wants to bless us. I don't think the average believer keeps that in the front of their mind. I don't think the average believer concentrates on that enough that God wants to bless them. God wants to do good for them. God wants to pour out his love on them. God wants to give them good things. I've told you so many times, if you will properly understand who God wants you to see him as. If I went around the room and I asked everybody, how do you see God? What's your view of God? How do you envision God? God is different things to different people. Some people can say he's a boss, master, lord, father, healer, deliverer, ruler, king. All these things are, are types of imagery that the Bible uses to show God to us. But the primary way God has revealed himself to us in Scripture is as a father. Say father. If you don't have a good father, you have to imagine a good father. If you had a good father, then that might help you understand the fathering role of God. I had a seminary professor make everybody in the room in one class I took here in Jacksonville at Luther Rice Bible College ask everybody in the room, raise your hand if you did not have a father or you had what you considered a bad father. Me and half the class raised our hand. And he said, oh, crusty dude, he said, all you men will struggle your entire Christian lives with accepting the fatherhood of God because you never accepted your natural father. And he went on this big three-month course trying to explain that to us. And I disagreed with him wholeheartedly, which I'm prone to do with people who are wrong. You know, if people tell you you're wrong a lot, you might want to consider maybe you are. But I told him <laughs> repeatedly through the class that because I didn't have a good father, because I didn't know my father like that, because I didn't have this great picture that no human being could live up to of how great my dad was, God being my father was more special to me than all y'all that didn't raise y'all's hand. And I'm glad somebody other than me can get that. See, to me, the fatherhood of God is awesome because that's the only father I had. That's the only father I know. And I propose to the class, all of you that didn't raise your hands on the first day of class, you elevate your natural father to such a position that it challenges your ability to follow leadership in the church and to surrender to the fatherhood of God. 
And of course, you know, we did what we do in college. We argued and fought for three weeks. They, they gave me my A minus and I went on. <laughs> Hallelujah. But God has revealed himself to us in many ways, but the most repetitive way he's revealed himself to us as a father, because we haven't all served kings. We don't all understand overseership. We haven't all had lords in our life. But we can all understand fathers, even if we've had good ones or bad ones or no ones. If you will begin to see God, think about God, relate to God as a father and you as a child, it will change your whole life. It will change your Christianity. It will create a greater love for him than you've ever had for him. It will give you an opportunity to receive his grace because you may view yourself as a 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old person who ought to know better. But when you realize God views you as his little child, and those of y'all that have grown up, my kids haven't gotten big enough yet. My, my kids still kiss me in the mouth. My, my kids still tell me they love me 100 times a day. I, I still lay on the couch and rub my kids' backs and head. They still crawl up in bed with me. My kids, even though they're 11 and 14, they're very young. Um, I told them from birth, I'm not going to raise fast children. They got their whole world to be grown. They're going to be my little boys and, and as, as long as they can be. I haven't got to that place where my kids have, have turned the corner and started talking back to me and telling me that they're smarter than me. But some of y'all that do, uh, forget about that child right now and think back to the little child when you still love them. Think back to the little child when, when you can still smell baby on them. You know, it's, that, that's why, you know, women get upset when they have, like, when that child goes from three to four to five, you can't smell baby on them no more. They're not saying cute words anymore. You're like, we need a new baby. There's something precious about caring for that small child that, that just overwhelms your heart. I want you to know that's how God sees you, whether you're three years old or 300 years old. Compared to God, you will never be grown. You know, we get that in our minds. Some of you have grown children. But, you know, if you're a good parent, you'll look them in the face and say, I don't care how old you are. You'll never be grown to me. You will always be my child. And that, that's just how good parents treat kids, even if your kids are in their 30s, 40s, or 50s. But think about how much more grown you feel than your children. And you're only 20, 30, 40 years older than them. God is forever older than us. He is so far above and beyond us that we are his little children. And I want you to understand the love that God has for you as his small child. I'm not ever going to advocate loose living as a pastor. I believe that the world lives too loose. I believe Christians live too loose. I believe the church is a shame and a scam and is scandalous at every level. I think we're the most immoral group of Christians on the history of the planet. I'm never going to advocate loose living, but I do want you to know this. I know that there are people in the world who beat themselves up so hard over mistakes that they make that they feel like they should have known better, that they should have done better, and they feel like God is angry or mad at them or withholding forgiveness because they don't realize he's my big dad and he loves me like a little kid. You can get upset with your little child, but you still scoop them up in your arms and love on them. If you don't get anything out of tonight's message, I want you to understand God is a father. And he's not a father to a grown child. He's a father to a little child. We will always be his little children. And the Bible says that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation in verse 12. As a father, God wants to bless his children. I know that so very well because I love to do things. God has allowed me a certain measure of success in businesses outside the church, and I'm able to take my kids and do some things with them that I'm thankful for. And I, my kids have done a lot of cool things in their life. And I want to I expose them to different cultures. I've, ta I've taken them outside the country. I want to I do all the great things I can with my kids while I have them. But sometimes they just mess up so much, I won't even take them for a milkshake. And trust me, I didn't get this way not loving milkshakes. Okay, uh, I want to take them for a milkshake just so I can get one. I'm like, anybody want to go to Sonic? And if they better say yes, because I'm taking them either way. I mean, especially when it's happy hour at Sonic and half off milkshakes. So you know, be fruitful, be be frugal with your money. Learn how to be a good steward. But I want to bless my kids. 
but sometimes they're not blessable. Here's the thing. I tell them all the time that they need to keep their hands off each other. Keep your room clean. Be thankful. Don't complain. If they're not making the basic rules inside my house, then it's over. We had a Disney trip planned a month ago. I had a teacher call me saying that one of my kids was talking in her classroom and she would like it if I would step in and make sure that didn't happen again, that it didn't normally happen with this child. And I was horrified. I don't like, and I told him, I don't like people calling me, telling me you're not behaving in class. That reflects poorly on me and on you. So guess what? We didn't go to Disney that week. Why? Because I wanted to bless them. I wanted to take them somewhere awesome, but they didn't put themselves in a blessable situation. And I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the life of believers for decades. I know God wants to bless his children. But if you won't stay straight long enough to let him bless you, then you shouldn't be mad at him for not blessing you. Are you following me? Get yourself in a position where you're loving on your father. So when he wants to take you for a milkshake, metaphorically, he can. God, verse 12 says, blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. God blesses those. There's a group. Say group. There's a group of people that God blesses. Now I talk to you a lot about the literary principle of inference. If there's a group of people that God blesses, then that's inferring by contrast that there's a group of people that God what? Doesn't bless. There is a group of people God blesses, and there is a group of people that God doesn't bless, but it's only inside the church. God's not talking about unsaved people here. God's not talking about a group of unsaved people versus saved people. He's talking about his children. He's talking about the group of his children that he blesses versus the group of his children that he doesn't bless because everybody claiming the name of Christ is not being blessed. Everybody that's truly saved is not being blessed because everybody's not putting themselves in a blessable situation. God blesses those who, what, patiently endure testing and temptation. I love the specificity of the Bible. Try to say that word in front of people. You'd be surprised how difficult that is. I love how specific the Bible is. No words are wasted and no words are added. God promised if you added a word to the Bible, he would add every curse in the Bible to you. And if you took a word out of the Bible, he would take your name out of his book. No words added, no words taken away. Every word meaningful, every word purposeful, every word placed there by God. God blesses those not just who endure, but who patiently endure. Do you see any difference in that? Well, anybody can endure while complaining. I'm just holding on. That's, 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 not in, that's not patiently enduring, even if it's enduring at best. God blesses those who patiently endure what? Testing and temptation. Testing. It doesn't just say testing. It doesn't just say temptation. So there must be a difference between testing and temptation. Because God is saying this is who he wants to bless, those who endure testing and temptation. you got to do both. Say both. both. All right. Now, I want to read something right out of my study Bible. And if you don't have a study Bible, I want to encourage you to invest in your spirituality. You need to get a study Bible, but you probably need to run by me before you get one because there's a lot of bad ones out there. See, my, my Bible has writing on the top. And then a line across the bottom and writing on the bottom. Now, the writing above the line is what God says. The writing below the line is what Dr. Charles Ryrie of Dallas Theological Seminary says. Of whom Charles Swindoll said, the greatest mind of our generation, a man who knows more about theology. uh, No, Charles Ryrie, Swindoll said, Charles Ryrie has forgotten more about sound theology than he'll ever know. And Chuck Swindoll knows a lot about the Bible. Um, I'm not saying everything this man says is true, and that's why I preface it. you got to be careful to believe that the stuff above the line is better than the stuff below the line. A lot of people get study Bibles and start reading preacher's notes and theologian's notes. And listen, everybody who wrote a study Bible is not a theologian. This man is a triple doctorate theologian at the leading seminary on the planet. Okay, so if you want to get a good study Bible, see me, and, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll swing you the way to a couple of them. 
The, the Life Application Study Bible is probably the best study Bible you can get as a non-theologian. You want to be a good Christian that knows God and not read a lot of Hebrew and Greek and not be bogged down with a lot of minutia? The Life Application Study Bible in the New Living Translation is probably going to be your best source. You want to get deeper than that, we, we can talk about getting deeper than that. But I want to read something that Dr. Ryrie said in his notes. Remember, this isn't Bible, but he's smarter than I am, so I thought I'd just read it word for word. Talking about the difference between tested and tempted. He said, to tempt, as is in context in this passage, is to test, try, prove, or solicit to evil. Okay, God doesn't do that. God doesn't do anything to you to cause you to want to do wrong. He says, to tempt is to test, try, prove, or solicit to evil. In verses 2 and 12, the same Greek word is used to mean those trials that are designed to prove the, to prove the quality of one's character. In this verse, the word means a solicitation to evil. And this, James says, is not from God, but from man. See, God tests you, but doesn't tempt you. Now, see, in the King James, it just says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. And doesn't make the contrast between testing and temptation. So Dr. Ryrie had to put this note in there to let people know that the Greek word in verse 2 is different than the Greek word in verse 12. Trials are different than temptation. There are tests and there are temptations. God will send you tests. Word-loving preachers say to build your testimony. Not always. Just to show you how much you love him or don't love him, really. The reason we go through stuff is not so you can brag so much about how great your testimony is or what God has done for you. Many times God sends you through a test just so you can see whether or not you'll pass it. Why did God tell Abraham to put Isaac on the wood and kill him? If you read the Bible, in the, in the King James Version especially, in the Genesis account, God said when, when the angel called out, to Abraham and, and said, don't, there's a ram in the bush, don't kill your son. God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me more than you love your son. Well, if you read that like that, it sounds like God learned something. And listen, God never learned anything. There was never a time in God's life where he was capable to learn anything because he's always known everything. If God could learn something, it would make him less than perfect. If he, could, if he could unlearn something, it would make him less than what he is. So these things can't happen. God didn't learn anything. If you read that in the Hebrew, it says, now I know that you know you love me more than you love him. God didn't need to learn if Abraham loved him more than Isaac. God already knew. God wanted to put Abraham through a test so Abraham could realize, wow, I really do love God more than anything. And that's one of the reasons, that's one of the primary reasons that God will put you through tests. So he can reveal your character to you. Now, if you make a testimony out of it and you want to share that with people, that's awesome. But the primary purpose is to let you know whether or not you love him as much as you should. So those are tests. Temptations are a whole different thing. But the Bible says God blesses those who patiently endure testing. Those are things that God brings into your life. Trials, as talked about in verse 2 in the first half of chapter 1. And he also blesses those who endure temptation. This is a solicitation for evil goes on in the next sentence to say afterward after uh, when, when, when is after it's after it's later it's, it's when after what was just said after what after you patiently endure testing and temptation see everybody wants the goody but they don't want to go through anything you don't get the goody till you go through something you know everybody's sitting back wondering when God's going to bless them you don't get blessed till you go through something that's why people who've never been through anything can't minister to me because they got nothing to say to me you, you can't tell me anything until you've been through something. No relationship, even your relationship with God and your Christian friends, is valuable until it's been tested. It has to be tested. This is where you prove whether what the substance is in it. And God says, after those, that group, that select group, that small group of Christians who have patiently endured both testing and temptation, not just one, but both, Afterward, they, who's they? This small group, say small group. This small group of patient endurers who've gone through tests, trials, and temptations, opportunities for evil, 
after they've endured that patiently, they, the small group, will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. If you don't learn how to slow your reading of the scripture down and rehearse it in your mind the way I just talked it out to you, you're never going to understand the Bible. It's never going to make sense to you the way God wants it to. You got to slow your reading down and you got to say afterward, they, who is they? You got to figure out who all the he's in the Bible are, who all the they's in the Bible are. They is not just, they is typically in the Bible. If we say us and them, who is them usually? We and they, they is usually the non-Christians. Well, the they here is not non-Christians, and the they here is not just Christians. The they here is the select small group of patiently enduring testing and temptation Christians. And after they've gone through that, the Bible says God is going to give them the crown of life that he promised to those who what? Love him. Well, if you read that, if you just read those last phrase, God has promised the crown of life to those who love him. Is that what the word says? That's what it says. They will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Who has God promised the crown of life to? Those who love him. That's what it says if you just read that small portion of it. But that's not what it says contextually. That's not the small group that it's talking to. Because anybody can say, I love him. Listen, love can be very philosophical. Love can be very ideological. Love can be just a whole bunch of uh, horse poop. Are you hearing me? I could have said something else. Y'all fire me for that. Love. How many of y'all know everybody that told you they loved you wasn't really loving you? Y'all ain't lived long enough. I've been lied to by a bunch of people. I've been lied to by so many, I don't even believe nobody anymore. Tell me you love me. I'm liable to send you on packing. But those who love him are not just ones who talk about it. Those God's not really given the crown of life. He ain't promised that everybody who just says that they love him. See, because real love is proven. Real love is tried. Real love is tested. Real love endures temptation. Real love overcomes stuff. Real love comes out on the other side of stuff. It's not just this butterflies. Listen, I, I feel sorry for young people. They don't know nothing. I'll be more grammatically correct. They don't know anything. Every time they get a little jitter in their heart, I'm in love. No, you're not. You're not. You're in lust. You're, you're in infatuation. You're, 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 you're enthralled with the concept of romance. But all that foolishness, all that puppy love, that's not love, love. I told y'all what Bernie Mac said. Watch that movie where the white boy dated his daughter. And he told him, y'all make me sick. You don't love my daughter. Y'all don't know nothing about love. Y'all ain't old enough to know nothing about love. You think love is fireworks and, and skyrockets. Love is hell, son. Love is war. Love is hard. Love, love is a pain in the behind. Ain't he right? That's a fact, Jack. Love goes through stuff and comes out on the other side. All these people that quit you, listen to what the Bible says. They quit you because they were never with you. That's what 1 John says. They quit to prove they weren't with you. They said all that garbage. They said the same lies that other people told you. You were dumb enough to believe it. (laughs) And then where were they? They said they loved me. No, this ain't promised to people who say that they love God. This is promised to a small group. Say small group. Small group of Christians. Listen, you only got a small group of people that really love you. Oh, Pastor, I just love everybody. Uh, and for all in my mind, all I'm thinking is you're so naive. You're cute. I'm so cute that you just love everybody. I love dogs and cats and butterflies. I just love sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, well, I guess because sunshine and rainbows ain't put you through nothing. I'm going to leave it alone and keep going. God has promised this crown of life, this this amazing thing that God calls this crown of life to a small group of people who patiently endure testing and temptation. Listen, I want this crown. All right? There are five crowns that the Bible talks about that believers can have. Really only four, but we they say five. Unless you're a pastor, you got shot for four, 
you want to take on, and I urge you not to, but if you want to take on being a pastor, and as James tells us, don't do it. That not many should, people should even try to do it. Uh, it. Paul said the worst part of his whole life was the fact that the care of the church was on him daily and the church folk were driving him crazy. Um, I mean, it's, it's like dog years. Y'all ought to have seen me. Man, I came into this church 38 years old. I was young, good-looking, and weighed 170 pounds. I weigh 210 right now and old. I had hair thick as a shag carpet. Listen, this is like presidential years. Look at what eight years did to President Obama. He came in looking good. Have you seen him lately? Holy cow. I thought the years were hard on Clinton. I thought the years were hard on Bush. Well, the years were hard on Bush. I mean, he just changed everything about his look. But unless you are a pastor, there's four crowns, but there are five crowns that believers can access. Um, we're not going to talk about them tonight, but I, can you put all those? Oh, I don't know if you can put them all on one frame. I don't know how Keon or whoever adjusted those. I, I sent y'all notes on those crowns. We can look at them one by one. If they're on one frame, don't try to change it now. Listen to these five crowns. The, the, the first crown is called the incorruptible crown. And it's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. This is also called in some translations the imperishable crown or incorruptible crown. It's a crown given to believers who faithfully run the race and crucify every selfish desire to the flesh and point men to Jesus. You got to be a soul winner. You got to be a sacrificial person. And you got to go through a lot of hardship to get the incorruptible crown. I, I dare say you don't pray for it, okay? That, that right there, uh, that's going to put you, you're going to be like the person that wrote, it is well with my soul, okay? Do you know what, do you know what the person wrote the hymn, it is well with my soul, was overcoming? Anybody know? The death of his wife and children while doing ministry on the mission field. Okay? If you study about missionaries, you're going to find out a lot of missionaries went to villages where cannibals killed their children and ate them. You're going to hear about children whose parents went on mission fields and were killed by the people they were ministering to, but the kids still went to school and went to college and grew up and went back to the same village to love on and minister and win those same cannibals to Christ. Uh, that's this crowd of folk. That's this incorruptible crown. This is We don't quit in the face of adversity. We keep going. This ain't a crown that fades. Okay, so you can chase that one if you want to. The, number, the second one is the crown of rejoicing. And the Bible talks about this crown in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in Daniel chapter 12. And this crown is given to those who, are, who faithfully are witnesses to the saving grace of God and to uh, soul winners. Uh, it's also t- said title specifically in some versions, the soul winner's crown. Um, it's a crown that God's going to give to those who have been witnessing to others and leading people to Christ. This is the crown of rejoicing. You want to find somebody who's happy, find somebody who's winning people to Christ. You want to find somebody happy. It, it, it's a lot of fun to see kids turn around from bad to good, ain't it, James? What's it do to your heart? It's big, ain't it? Makes it swell up. It, I mean, it'll take the Grinch's heart. And, and just bring it out of his chest. There's no greater rejoicing than giving your life to reach souls for God's kingdom. In this life, you get that. You get that feeling. He likes it, though, doesn't he, Amy? To see that, the soul winner's crown, the, the man, the woman, who gives it all up to go out and tell somebody else about Jesus, who takes less so somebody else can see this is the way you come to Jesus. There's a crown for that kind of believer. The third crown is the crown we're talking about tonight, the crown of life, which is talked about here in James chapter 1, verse 12. It's also talking, talked about in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 11. And this is the crown for those who endure trials, patiently endure trials and temptation, uh, severe suffering, and even death in Revelation 2. This crown is referred to in Revelation 2 as the martyr's crown because that's the ultimate endurance of a trial. Okay, so everybody who ever died for Christ, every martyr who ever died for Christ was guaranteed the crown of life. Everybody in the book of the Revelation in chapter 2 who give their life for the Lamb of God will receive the crown of life. Everybody who has been martyred up until that point will receive the crown of life, but it's not just for those even unto death, but it's though for those who endure trials, tribulations, and suffering patiently here on this earth. 
Uh, the Bible says that God will give this crown to those who undergo severe hardship, testing, tribulation, and possibly physical death for his name. Number four, the crown of righteousness, which is talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And this is promised to those who love the appearing of Christ, who anxiously wait and look forward to the day when he'll return. That's the people. This is a really small group here. That's the people who live every day looking and living their life knowing he could come back today. I got to live the best I can because he could come back today. Amber put up a, a meme on Facebook today, and it said that you should try, start living your life, start treating everyone you meet as if you knew they were going to die at midnight tonight and see if that changes the way you treat people. It would. Okay, well, that's cool. That's cool in a, in a, in a, you know, in a humanist way. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you start living every day of your life like this could be the last day, this could be the day the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. This could be the day when the roll is called up yonder and I'll be there. This could be the day when our faith turns to sight. This could be the day where soon and very soon we're going to see the king. If you live your life every single day with that awareness, this could be my last day on earth. And I got to do it all for Christ. I got to live it all for Christ then God has promised a crown of life or a crown of righteousness to you. Why is it called a crown of righteousness? Well, if you're living your life like today's the last day, or Jesus is coming back today, you think you're going to be wide open drunk in the strip club if you knew Jesus was coming back today? No, you are not. You think you're going to be on the phone gossiping with your girlfriend, talking hateful about people when Jesus comes back today? No. This, the crown of righteousness is for people who live with that awareness and it affects the way they live on earth, and Jesus gives them a crown for it. And the fifth crown is the crown of glory talked about in 1 Peter chapter 5. And this is the pastor's crown. And it will only be given to ministers who faithfully feed the flock of God. And I want to get that. I don't think many people are going to get that because I believe, well, not in this generation. Almost all old preachers are going to get it. And they used to stand and they used to say every time they had open sermons, I didn't come today for fear, favor, or compromise. And you never hear anybody talk about that anymore, but they wanted the world to know. I don't, I'm not scared of what you think about me. I'm not looking for you to like me, and I'm not compromising what this book says. And they just used to preach the flat-footed truth. I mean, there's a crown of glory for people like that. Um, and that's a, hard, that's a hard thing. So five crowns. If you read the Bible or you've been around church for a while, you already know what happens to these crowns. People are like, ooh, that sister's going to have lots of crowns in heaven. She's going to walk around with them stacked up. She's just so holy. She's going to have jewels in her crowns, and she's just going to be, you see her coming down the street. You won't. You won't because people will get crowns at the judgment seat of Christ, but the Bible says that you'll be able to take those in turn and lay them at his feet. And for the first time in our life, we will be able to give something tangible to the Lord. We would be able to give something to him to prove that we loved him for real. For the first time in our life. We would be able to present him with something that's really worthy of giving to him because it's his. And you ought to get one of these crowns in your life. I don't know if God will call you to be a pastor you won't get the crown of glory. I don't know if you are the if you're mature enough to endure patiently tribulations and suffering and death, so the martyr's crown or the crown of life might not be for you. I don't know if you can live every day thinking this might be your last day and with the awareness that this could be the final day that the Lord might give you on this life, so maybe the crown of righteousness won't be for you. But you need to figure out one of these crowns first crown listed in every list. If you Google crowns for believers, Christian crowns, crowns for Christians, it'll always list five on every reliable website, and it'll always start with the incorruptible crown, because that's the one that's easiest to get. You don't have to die. You don't have to wake up every day thinking about Jesus, but you got to faithfully run the race that God has put before you, and you got to crucify selfish desires so that your life points people to Christ. Get one of these crowns. The crown we're talking about tonight is the crown of life. And put verse 12 back on the screen for me, Kari. God 
says, after you endure testing and trials patiently, you're going to receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That love is a qualifying love, a love that is proven by doing what verse 12 says. I want you to live a life like that. I want you to endure every test. That's hardship that God allows you to go through. That's hardship that God brings your way. People say, well, God would never put me through nothing hard. Sure he would. Well, God would never put nothing harder on me than I could take. Of course he would. He's going to continue to put stuff on you harder than you can. Well, God promised he ain't going to put more on me than I can bear. The scriptures say. The scripture don't say. The scripture says God won't tempt you without providing an escape route. Read Corinthians and find out. God will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with every temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. doesn't say he won't put more on you than you can bear. He said he won't allow you to be tempted more than you can bear without an exit ramp. Every temptation has an exit ramp. That's promised by God. God nowhere said he won't put more on you than you can bear. He designs to put more on us than we can bear, so we'll fall to our knees and cry out to him. And if you're proud, you need more on you. And if you're stubborn, you need even more on you. And if you're resistant to crying out to him, he's going to continue to pile weight on you until it crushes you. Because his plan is to get us on our knees looking up. Okay? So if you endure the tests that God sends your way patiently and the temptations that, that are presented to you from the world and from your own self, then there's a possibility if you do these things right that you're going to get this crown of life, and you ought to desire that. Let's look at verse 13 real quick, and I'm going to wrap this up. And remember, that means there's more. Say more. When you're being tempted, don't say God's tempting me. Don't say when you're being tested, don't say God's testing me. Too many people giving credit to the devil. Well, the devil messing with my money. No, God's messing with your money because you won't pay the tithe. God said if you don't pay the tithe, you put your money in your pocket. God puts a hole in your pocket. Read the Bible. God said if you try to stack up money without giving to his kingdom, he will blow on your money and make it go away. God said that if you're not faithful with your money to him, he will put wings on your money and your money will fly away. Stop thinking the devil is always the one bringing hardship. Read the book of Job. Job minding his business, loving God more than anybody on the planet. God said to the devil, why don't you go mess with Job? Why God did that? To test him. So Job could see and Job's rebellious wife could see that Job did not fear God for stuff. Different message, different people. Don't say that God is tempting me. You can say God is testing me. You can't say God is tempting me. It's a difference. Why? Because God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else to do wrong. God doesn't tempt you with evil that comes from different places look at verse 14 temptation comes from the devil because we're so holy that the devil had to come up out of hell and mess with us lest we win the whole world to Christ because we're doing so much great things for God's kingdom temptation comes from the devil because he ain't got nobody to mess with better than North Floridians and he knows that if he don't stop us his whole hell is going to crumble no, that's not what the Bible says. Temptation doesn't come primarily from the devil. Temptation comes from our own desires. Well, the devil has just been on me to, to cheat on my wife. No, he hasn't. You're evil all by yourself. You don't need the devil to tempt you for that. Well, the devil just been trying me to be evil. No, he hasn't. You got evil in you. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked beyond all imagination. The nicest, sweetest little churchy marm person you know, evil hard round to the core. How do I know? Because the Bible says, not my cousin's sister's first wife, Pastor. She was a saint. No, she wasn't. Not at her root, she wasn't. She had desires. That tempted her. We have desires. This is talking to Christians. This is talking to select group Christians. Temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Stop thinking that God is tempting you because he doesn't. Stop thinking that the devil is tempting you, listen, because he doesn't have to. Did you get the difference? God doesn't 
And the devil doesn't have to. Why doesn't the devil have to tempt people to steal from work? Why doesn't the devil have to tempt people to lie? Why doesn't the devil have to tempt people to cheat on their taxes? Why doesn't the devil have to tempt people to be racist? Why doesn't the devil have to tempt people to be bigots? Why doesn't the devil have to tempt people to do wrong? Why? Because it's in us already. We don't need no outside red suit wearing horned up devil with a pitchfork to try to get us to do wrong. We need God to keep us straight. Now, if you can't admit that much, I got real issues with you. I'm going to tell you all what. I got real issues with Donald Trump. Donald Trump claiming to be a Christian but said he never asked God for forgiveness because he never done anything he needed forgiven for. So I know he don't know God. But, you know, we got, we got communists and Muslims on the other side, so we got issues all the way around. We can talk about that later. Temptation comes from us, say us. We got it on the inside of us. We are messed up. We got issues. We got issues. We got desires that drag us away from who God wants us to be. And if you can't admit that, you can't even hope to win any crown or be successful in Christ. Well, I'm beyond all that, Reverend. I've grown. No. This is what the Word says, and the Word is true. Temptation comes from our own desires. James put himself in that. Do you know who James is? This ain't Peter James and John James. This ain't James, the son of Alphaeus James. This is the brother of Jesus Christ James. This is the, this is the man who knew Jesus, grew up in the same house as Jesus. This is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the leader of the whole church, the first apostle over everybody. He was the leader of the council in Jerusalem. The whole church bowed down to this one man. He was in charge of every Christian on the world. Study your church history. This is who James is. He's the one that when Paul said, we don't know if we should make Timothy get circumcised or not, we got to go let the council in Jerusalem make. James made the decision. Why? Because the whole church world bowed down to James. The Catholic church make you think Peter was the first pope. If there was a first pope, it wouldn't have been Peter. It would have been James. James said, that comes from y'all's own desires because I'm not evil. No, he said our own desires. He put himself in this mix. This is the most converted man on the planet. This is a man, you know you're really converted when you used to do dirt, right? And you don't anymore. I feel bad for my kids. My kids were raised in the church. Me and Dina knew we had a conversion because we went from doing dirt to doing righteousness. My kids raised in the church. Now, I don't hope that they go do dirt, but I hope that they find a real conversion. James did dirt. James denied Jesus. James wasn't on Jesus' side when Jesus was alive. James had a conversion experience after the cross. He saw the resurrected Jesus, and he knew that's my brother, and he's telling the truth because I saw it with my own eyes. This dude went through some stuff. He knew the deal. God elevated him and exalted him to be the highest-ranking Christian on the planet, and he said, this is in us. Listen, if it's in James, it's in you. If it's in James, it's in me. Well, not the pastor at my church back up in the mountain. He was a holy man. Okay. Well, our desires drag us away. What's verse 15 say? These desires give birth to sinful actions. The devil made me do it. No, Flip Wilson told that lie. The desires, our own desires, we're drawn away. The, the King James Version says that we are drawn away and enticed. By our own lusts, our own evil desires, our own wickedness. These desires give birth to sinful actions. Not desires that God put in you. God won't tempt you. Not desires that the devil put in you. The devil doesn't have to. God won't do it and the devil doesn't have to do it. It already exists. And these desires that already exist give birth to sinful actions. What does it take for the best Christians on the planet to get off track? Nothing. Nothing. Do nothing and find out. Your whole life will unravel. What does it take for the best Christians in the world to not get off track? A whole lot of devotion. Left alone, off track, automatically. We're drawn to that. It's in us. Left alone, off track, guaranteed every time. Left alone, we will mess up every time. Unless you're in the Word every day, on your knees every day, in prayer, in praise, in worship every day. Unless you consecrate your mind every day, off track, guaranteed. Why? Why? Because we got it in us. 
It's our own desires, and these desires are going to give birth to sinful actions. It's a process, a process. The desires were in James, the best Christian on the planet in this time. The desires are there in the select Christians. The small group of patiently enduring people. The desires are there. But listen, you don't have to let those desires give birth to sinful actions. You get to choose. Now, if you can stop saying that God is tempting me to do wrong because he won't, and you, you impugn God's character by saying that, and that's not good. If you'll stop saying the devil is trying to drag me down, uh, the devil wants you to think that so you give him more credit than he's worth. If you start saying, I got so many issues, I, I, I can't stay out of my own way, and I need God to get my mind right, to regulate my mind, to be a mind regulator and, 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 and a battle axe, if you get your mind right and realize I got so much junk in me that if I don't get my mind right on God, this, this stuff in me is about to give birth to some junk. This stuff in me is about to give birth to some sinful actions because it's a process. It starts on the inside, but then it grows. It's like a baby. It starts on the inside. You can't see it. That's why you go get them little tests and pee on that strip. Can't see it. Got a good idea it's there, though, because you know you did dirt. Well, unless you're married and you're trying. I mean, I keep going. It's on the inside, but it's not visible. It's on the inside, but it's not living. It's on the inside, but it doesn't have to come out. But if you nurture it, if you feed it, if you don't choke it out, it's going to come out as... Sinful actions. Well, everybody sins, Pastor. Okay, well, if you want to be that casual, just realize this. Once your evil desires takes you to the place where you're doing dirt and you've got sinful actions in your life, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The crown... We talked about, anybody remember? I know I've been long. Anybody remember what the crown is in this passage? Look at verse 12 in your Bible. Crown of what? Sin gives birth to what? Death. Crown of what? Sin gives birth to what? Cancels out that crown. You won't get the crown of life giving birth to death. Put that last verse back on the screen for me, Corey. Sin allowed to grow gives birth to death. Well, the devil wants to kill me. True, but it doesn't have to if you're letting sin grow in your life because you give, you're yielding to your own wicked emotions and your own evil desires. The devil doesn't have to come your way until you start shutting those down. That's a whole different message. Then he'll come your way. But if you allow those desires to take root, sin's going to grow. And if you let sin grow... This is the word of the Lord. It's going to cause something to die. Death. Finality. Irreparable brokenness. And that's why believers throughout the ages and pastors throughout the centuries have urged people, don't play with sin. Because you don't know when the axe is going to fall. Don't play with sin because you don't know how God might choose to bring death on you. Pharaoh played with sin because Pharaoh thought, I don't care what you do to me, I'm Pharaoh. Turn all the water red. I've got bottled water by the hundred gallons in my basement. I don't need that stink water from the Nile anyway. I've been saving water longer than you've been alive, preacher. Bring all the flies. I got slaves to drive. Bring all the locusts and frogs you want. I got slaves to clean that up. And he did. But here's the thing. God always knows what to kill in your life to get your attention. Sin bringing forth death wouldn't hurt the average believer. That's a graduation to heaven. Baptism from the body, be present with the Lord. To die is gain. No, it ain't talking about that. God killed Pharaoh's son. 
The devil didn't kill Pharaoh's son. The angel of the Lord killed Pharaoh's son. God killed David's son. God don't kill nobody. That's the devil's job. Please read your Bible. Get out of Pentecostal foolishness and read your Bible. I love Pentecostal churches. They've done great things for our praise and worship expression, but they have wrecked theology. Read the Bible. Why did David's son die? Because sin grew and gave birth to death. Don't play with sin. Get the crown of life. Squash out your own evil desires. Live holy and let God bless you. One cliche to finish. You've heard me say it before. One that's stick in your mind the way it's stuck in my mind as a teenager. Sin will always take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Did you hear me? It'll take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Nobody derails their marriage on day one. Nobody dives into sewage. They tiptoe into sewage. Nobody just flies off the Bible and into dirt. It's a process. And if you allow that process to continue to grow in your life, something's going to die because sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it always costs you more than you want to pay. We have a great alternative to that, and it's called repentance because God said if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I encourage you to choose grace before death. Don't be like Pharaoh and think, I don't care if he kills me. Because if that's your attitude, he'll find something you care enough about to take out. And you don't want that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, help us to long for crowns and not for death. Thank you, God, for giving us grace and mercy as an option to growing sin that brings birth to death. Help us, God, to choose right. Thank you, God, for allowing us the ability and the opportunity to gain crowns in this life that we might be able to lay them at your feet one day as a testimony to how much we love you and care about you. God, I know that I'm never going to be a perfect man. We know we're never going to be a perfect people. We know we're going to sin all the days of our life, and we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin. Help us, God, to choose better. Help us, God, to love you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.